Hello and welcome back to another episode of Politics on Draft with me, James Tabor. And me, Kartik Sawney. Join us as we go through the political news of the world and try to make sense of everything that's going on. Each week we'll talk about current affairs, political topics and offer some insight, research and opinions along the way. We'll also be bringing on some special guests with interesting stories and their experience of politics. So whether you're a massive politics nerd or someone who simply wants to know more, you're very welcome to join us every Friday from 8am, just in time for your morning commute. So get comfortable, get a drink, and remember, the best politics is always on draft. Hello, how are you, Kartik? I'm good, how are you, James? I'm already a little bit drunk. Yeah, I am as well. I mean, we were just talking before the, the, the podcast, and we've both been actively drinking prior to this. Um, yeah. So this is going to be a little bit laid back, a little bit relaxed. Um, yeah, it's good because we don't have a guest on. It's, it's a bit season yeah. review. Mid-season review. Um, it's so not that to... I've just fucked up and I haven't managed to book a guest for this week. Fuck. <laughs> 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 yeah. It, um, no, but it will be quite nice because you get to listen to us for 40 minutes and uh, we, we've been given a lot of airtime to our guests and uh, we think it's only right that we bless you all with our voices. Kartik, what are you drinking today? I'm just having a whiskey, sticking to a whiskey. It's a bit cold outside. It's still February. I'm not going to have a beer. I think that was a bad choice a couple of weeks ago. Definitely caught my throat a couple of weeks ago. So sticking I mean, to whiskey. It's quite, inter- it's quite interesting. Say just having a whiskey is like me saying, oh, I'm just going to run a half marathon. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's better for your throat. Yeah. I and mean, then it does. It's proved to be quite good for immunity. Someone's hmm. going to fat check that and say it's total bollocks. But anyway, yeah. uh, no, I'm having the trapiche Malbec from Argentina. So, what yeah. wanker. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> our first segment is a bit of a review of our guests, you know. So, James, I'm going to ask you and you can tell me why. And then I can come back and say, oh, yeah, they were my favorite as well. Or, nah, they were not my favorite. Um, but who was your favourite guest of the last five episodes? Well, last four episodes. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, we've. Uh, I first say I think we've had some absolute cracker of guests all round. Um, but uh, I obviously you're not going to agree with my one, but um, but I thought Elliot was a pretty stellar guest in terms of just it was quite an interesting conversation. I thought there was a decent level of you know, back and forth. Um, I'm sure you'll disagree in that regard. Um, <laughs> but also it was, I mean, at least for me, it was my first uh, in-person interview, which was quite an interesting dynamic as well. Made editing very easily as well. So, you know, just it's kind <laughs> of lo- logistically, it's been an absolute beaut for me. But um, yeah, that's my reasons. Uh, what do you make of that? I disagree. Yeah. But not for the same. <laughs> I think it was quite cool to have an MP on for the first time on a podcast. We're hopefully going to have more MPs on. This time we're going to go for a Labour MP. We're also going to go for a Lord, uh, just mm. to go all the way across the spectrum. But um, I disagree primarily because at points I felt like there were some questions not answered. Because, mm. you know, purely from a briefing perspective, I think sometimes my questions might have been a bit too long-winded. But also, I'm, I'm disappointed with myself that sometimes I didn't go back on something. I didn't want to do the classic Laura Koonsberg, oh, but, Mr. Colbert, you know, this Yeah, or but that, do you know what? And this, I said, I said this to you last week. I actually think that you did do 
quite well because I mean the the, the listeners will know our brand is not to be like those those interviews yeah. where it becomes more about them than it does about the actual um and that and that's been very successful and everyone we've spoke to has loved that as as a kind of as what we do but I think yeah. but you gave a certain you did give a reasonable level of pushing back you know you push back on Nadim Sahawi you push back on Brexit you push back on you Les I think you know you you push back and still encourage debate. So I, I I'm giving you kudos here. I'm, I'm oh, that's very you, nice. I'm totally milking you right now, am I? So <laughs> that's not yeah. that's not an image that anyone wants to have on Friday morning. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think I think it was fun to have Elliot Colburn on. I think he overall was 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 a very good guest. It was good. It was good fun to have him on. Possibly I wasn't as raucous because it was it was three p.m. in the afternoon and we weren't drinking. Uh, maybe catch him in a pub um it could get a bit spicier maybe we should at some point maybe we should it's gotten some quite interesting um interesting responses on uh tiktok if you don't follow our tiktok it's at politics on draft um and we just post little snippets on there and uh, we've been getting some quite interesting uh sort of responses so for instance we did one uh, labelled has Rishi Sunak led with integrity and we've got some people saying is the Tory in a parallel universe Sunak is not in charge of the party he's there as a token to diversity and they were desperate um, yeah Oof. Um, quite, I, I laughed at the yeah. start but I didn't I'm quite sure. realise how racial it got at the end um, I'm sure yeah, yeah, it's, not good. It's, it's not particularly great um, but also just in terms of it's quite interesting the level of discontent that there is i mean but by no stretch of imagination are we a massive podcast and that's the primary response we got on there um mm-hmm. but i wanted to highlight that one because i did think it was um prob- i think that was blatantly racist i think he's not mm-hmm. token to diversity because i mean let's just face it he's a very very wealthy man in many different respects he's not as diverse as you would expect uh, the prime minister to be, he is still Oxford educated. Um, yeah. I, think, I think one has to argue that if you make your way into the number 10 office, you've got to have some level of success um, to get to that position, whether or not you're successful in government is completely uh, separate. Yeah. So let me ask you what level of success did Boris Johnson have before he got to <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, he, he was in number 10 and many people weren't is uh, I think the only way that we can uh, put it although I'm sure you'd pin yourself to be in there <laughs> oh yeah okay fuck off <laughs> <laughs> this is turning into a real banter session of just me we literally before the podcast we spent about half an hour just absolutely lashing on each other so <laughs> uh, so this is just an extent extension of that um, but let's talk about your your fa- favorite um favorite. my favorite guest and i wasn't expecting this because naturally i would always gravitate to you know i i'm i'm a big fan of nepotism naturally and i would i, I would naturally gravitate towards um josh naylor higgs who's a very very <laughs> close friend of mine i think he's so well informed on america he messaged me after the podcast saying that he he felt that he wasn't on top of it i think he was brilliant um, but my favourite guest, purely from an element of surprise, was Cameron Ford, because national media loves to depict these people as absolutely mental. But I found him really, really personal, and I think he was a brilliant guest to have on overall. And he answered my questions. He went in depth. I think, no, actually, there was one time he didn't answer my question, and 
I remember reflecting back on that thinking, hmm, it would be interesting for a follow-up at some point. Mm. But I think Cameron Ford was a great guest to have on and it was a brilliant podcast. And if you haven't listened to that episode, please go back and listen to it because it was a very, very interesting episode, irrespective of whether you're interested in in, uh, climate politics, environment politics, or insulate Britain and that whole movement, that side of protest at all. I think it's a very interesting podcast. Yeah, well, you know what they say, it's a slippery slope from liking Cameron Ford and gluing yourself to an M25. Okay. I'm not going to glue myself to the M25. <laughs> no, um, no, I mean, yeah, I thought it was a very interesting uh, podcast. I thought that, you know, it was nice to have just a very civil debate with um, uh, with him and talk about um, just sort of his views on media and his views on parliament mm-hmm. and interesting how he kind of like insinuated that he's sure that a lot of a uh, lot of tory because there was the focus on tory mps and i did actually get comments from people that i know saying like why didn't you hit a bit more on the labor mps but uh uh that's not on kartik's branding <laughs> um uh, <laughs> you could have it's, it's my job it's me, my job and i'll hold my hands up to, i'll, I'll ha- hold my hands up to that mm. um but yeah, but the moment was, you bring up a Labour MP, I'm just going to hit you in the Great British Energy. So yeah, I'm sure you will. Um, but there was, yeah, I think I, it was interesting to hear him talk about how he thought that some Tory MPs are probably just standard human beings who don't want to see the planet uh, sort of like dying and stuff like that. But there was one question he didn't answer, which was basically, well, he kind of did and he didn't. He kind of he he basically, I asked him, did he had insular britain gone through all of the sort of legitimate mechanisms and i'm putting sort of in in inverted commas uh where we'd gone through the legitimate sort of routes before deciding it's a good idea to glue themselves because ultimately that i just want to know the the sort of as i said the journey one takes to gluing themselves and uh i don't know he kind of half-heartedly asked and basically said the government aren't going to do anything and no government's going to do anything about it. Um, so uh, it's, yeah, I, I wasn't massively convinced by that argument, but um, I think the good thing about Cameron Ford is that afterwards, and I don't know if we reflected on this, is that he he did say we can disagree on stuff. Mm. That's, and, you know, and, that's brilliant, yeah. And I'm going to disagree with him here. Because I think bringing the military in to retrofit houses with insulation is an absolutely ballistically mental idea. (laughs) So I think there were other sane proposals that he gave to the next Labour government. But I think bringing the military in to retrofit houses, no. I think having all new builds be A-rated on energy brilliant mm. right that is i think i think the social the social housing element to it as well was was brilliant and actually i came away from that saying do you know what if insolent britain was hitting more on that mark i think they'd get a lot a lot of support both public mm. and but mm. you know that they've they've got bigger ambitions and more revolutionary ambitions i agree so. on the social housing I, I i want to i want to dwell a bit just for two seconds on this mm. i visited a housing association built estate down Mm. the road to me with my local councillor and purely from a casework perspective and it is shocking to me that a lot of people don't know a lot of people who live it's not actually shocking to me because i think i think it's i think it's fair enough i think they've got other problems than to focus on national politics but they don't know about the conservative sell-off of council housing and council property to 
housing associations and the impact that that has on them. Because fundamentally, then you've got for-profit companies making affordable housing for the most vulnerable in society. And that just doesn't sit right with me. And we can talk about that another time, I think. And I think it'd be interesting to talk about that another time. And we will talk about that another time. But for now, I think... Are we going to talk about that another time, Kartik? (laughs) I think we will. Uh, But for now, I think we should go to a break. Hello and welcome back to... Sorry, Kartik just said something that I can't repeat. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to... From the break. Um, So, yeah, it was good to just chat about uh, what our favourite guests were and why. Um, Kartik, let's go on to the second segment, which is News Roundup. Um, I'm going to let you just go ahead and get on with it. So the big thing, which no one has been talking about, or at least a very select number of people have been talking about, is the Northern Ireland Protocol. It's caused a lot of debate in the Commons. It was the main thing during PMQs on the 22nd of February, which is today. We're recording today. It's coming out on Friday, as I always say, in every episode. So, just to preface, the Northern Ireland Protocol is basically the current rules for the way goods move across the Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland border, negotiated by Boris Johnson, and they came into force in 2021. Basically, what happens is that the goods that are coming in uh, to Northern Ireland are checked at ports in Northern Ireland on arrival, and then if they are, according to EU regulations, safe, they are moved into the Republic of Ireland once checked, and that is because the Republic of Ireland is still in the European Union. The UK's new plan is that the goods are split into two different lanes. Goods destined only for Northern Ireland go into the green lane and are not checked. Goods destined for Ireland and the EU, therefore, go into the red lane and the checks are carried out. So basically it's to make processes in Northern Ireland much more efficient. This debate has caused a lot of friction on the Tory backbenches. The extent to which the previous um, agreement will continue... Uh, under any new arrangement, has emerged as a major flashpoint for Brexit backing Tory MPs, as well as the DUP, the region's largest unionist party. But of course, the government in Northern Ireland is currently not actively functioning. Um, There are some Tory MPs that have also expressed concern about allowing the ECJ, the European Court of Justice, to have the final say on what EU laws mean, basically a red line for the 27-country bloc. But it's basically been rehashed because Rishi Sunak wants to renegotiate it. Labour said that they would back it, even though there is some friction on the Tory backbenches. Suella Bradman has apparently said that she would oppose any sort of stronghold of EU in Northern Ireland, even though this is nothing she, like. She's stronghold. part of the. I'm assuming she's part of still part of the ERG, isn't she? Yes, she was. The, the, I think she was the leader of the ERG or something. Well, like it's that. currently Marc Francois, I believe. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but that's quite interesting. Uh, My question to you, James, is why do you think people aren't talking about? Well, I think there's been this stigma with Brexit in terms of that, you know, it's the past is the past. You've kind of got to let it go. And I think the issue is, is it's not been resolved. I mean, like we could pull apart every single problem with Brexit and we'd be here for three hours, a bit like what we said last week. Um, mm. But Brexit is by no stretch of the imagination resolved. It's happened. 
Mm -hmm. but it's not resolved to this kind of you know utopia that levy you were sort of professing in uh 2016 i don't personally i don't think we're ever going to get to that kind of utopia i think that's just a new scenario that we're going to have to find some way of you know finding compromise and dealing with um we've done it yeah uh, but the Northern Ireland backs, uh, well, it was the backstop. Uh, the, the Northern Ireland protocol issue does need to be um, resolved. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a case of like it's kind of been brought out a bit now, and I think that's quite an interesting dynamic, isn't it? About um, about Labour backing it and and uh, the Conservative Party kind of being a, a little bit split and divided i'm gonna come i'm gonna come a little bit uh sort of not necessarily attacking the labor party here but I, i've got to ask this question uh do you think it's a bit politically convenient that at a time of tory disarray the sort of the labor party are coming in as the you know we'll back it we'll do it i think it's the first time that labor has had a firm policy not that I necessarily agree or disagree mm. with said firm policy. It's the first time that they have a firm policy on Brexit. And yeah. that I find interesting. I do, I do find that interesting as to how we've gotten to that place. And it is again interesting that, because I was going to bring up Clarkson's Farm, because I know you love that show. Hmm. I, you know, it's a guilty pleasure of mine yeah. that I like. Uh, the show on Amazon Prime, but it's very, very political. And he, he was talking about the eighty yeah, eighty thousand yeah, yeah. pound subsidy that farmers have lost. It's not going to be good. Keir Starmer, yeah. Keir Starmer on Tuesday was speaking to the National Farmers Union. Yeah, he was. So, it, yes, you could say it's yeah. politically convenient, but it's also very well politically managed. Yeah, and I, I, to be honest, I agree. I agree with the position, like as in, like I agree with that, and I, I, I think it's very, very good that they are you know, actively working with the government to do this, because I think it is, it, it's, it's mutually beneficial for all parties involved, but I, it just, it, I, I just find it quite interesting how, and this is just literally the devil's advocate within me kind of mm. saying, oh, this is brilliant, but isn't it interesting that, you know, the Tories are kind of split between this, the Mark Fra Francoisians. Well, no, I think it's that, more but... interesting, James, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you. I think mm. it's more interesting that, we have essentially in 2023, when Brexit was supposed to be oven ready and, you know, it's going to go through, it's going to be a utopia, it's going to be brilliant. You know, everyone's going to have an extra five grand in their account by the end of the year. And, you know, we're going to have, who's a famous singer? Give me a famous, we're going to have Adele singing at, the, uh, at Buckingham Palace about how great Brexit was or whatever. No, it's not been like that at all. And we, we've actually got the hard Brexit, the soft Brexit, Brexit at all debate coming back again in 2023. And I think that's why people aren't talking about it, because people are going, oh, we don't want to talk about Brexit anymore because we thought it was done. It's, it's, it shouldn't affect us anymore, but it is. But, all, are but, also, I, but also, I don't think people want to repeat because everybody remembers the deadlock and everyone remembers where every single morning they're waking up to some other ridiculous Brexit news uh, article to do with some negotiation that absolutely failed in Brussels. And people don't want people don't want to that to kind of resurface again. And I understand it. I understand why people don't want to talk about it. But unfortunately, you can't. You know, you can't not talk about these things. In my mind, there's there's the, there's Northern Ireland Protocol, and I think there's also the big issue of trying to get the uh, trying to get Stormont back to its uh, 
back mm. and running again as well because mm -hmm. um you know so much work was put into trying getting it back and then obviously it disbanded again and it's, but it's not going know. to fundamentally work till we solve this issue yeah and that that's 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 the point and that and yeah. i think uh, yeah it, it, and especially if the home it, decides to resign over it I mean, if the yeah. Home Secretary resigns, I think then the government's got another problem and it's just problem after problem after problem after problem. And I yeah. think with that, you're going to get more calls about uh, election. You're going to get more calls of incompetency. And yeah. if we regard, if, I mean, if we, even if we disregard the politics for a second, the simple fact is, is you've still got this problem that remains. Because yeah. let's let's say in yeah. some, some scenario, uh, Tory incompetence calls keep going. Avani, uh, and then they cave in and say, all right, let's have a general election, then Northern Ireland protocol ceases. It does not happen. And so then That's we've got been, this... That is exactly what's been happening since 2016, James. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> we're, we're well, in the same position because there was no oven-ready Brexit deal. No, and, and that's something that, you know, and that can be brought up at the election. And I think that's why, it, in a way, it's why I do think an election needs to happen. And it's why I... I I do believe elections should happen probably in 2024, but I think that these conversations need to start happening and election fever needs to kind of start kicking up a little bit earlier because so much has happened since the last election that yeah. it's almost going to take a year to kind of for people to go, oh, yeah, I do need to reflect back on this, this, that and the other. Mm -hmm. So I, I completely disagree with our guest from last week that, Brexit is not going to be a major part of the 2024 general election. Do you? Because actually, I didn't. I to be honest, I I've completely forgot to even touch on that. But um, <laughs> I it's it's interesting because I've privately said that I give Sunak six weeks, right? Yeah, and I think this is the issue that's going to bring him down. I don't think the ERG are going to rest on this. I think Labour might vote it through, and it might be a resolution for now. But then the next government is going to have to deal with it. The next Tory government is going to have to deal with it, unless we have a general election or not. I don't know. I think it'd be a stupid idea for the Conservatives to call a general election. I think it'd be a great idea for... It'd be political suicide for the Tories to call an election. Let's be real here. Mm. But I also... Yeah. But, but I... I'm... I'm a bit... I think that Brexit's going to be an issue for certain people. And I think, I think it's going to be an issue for everyone. I think the cost mm, of living crisis is affecting everyone. I think the fact that yes, the but the, the, the question is, is how. But Carter, the question is, is do people attribute the cost of living crisis to Brexit? Uh, you know, we can sit here and have that informed discussion, but there won't. Mm. There'll be people who buy into the rhetoric that there is. They are in isolation of one another, and the question is, is how much does that spread? What is complete the denial of the fact? Well, I'm, I'm, you say that. No, I, 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 I agree with you. Leave, leave EU was predicated on a lie. So if that can happen, then anything can happen in an election. No, I agree with you. So... I, I, yeah, some people might well be in denial, and maybe I'm completely out of touch on that because I'm so con I'm really, really connected with this issue. I'm mm. borderline nerdy about this issue. You so, are nerdy yeah. about this issue. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, maybe I'm completely disconnected with the broader general public on uh, on whether, you know, debate in the comments if, if you're watching this on TikTok. Yeah, honestly, honestly do, because it's like, it's so interesting to 
to know i mean you kind of said it that we me and kartik are kind of nerdy in this and that we talk about it every day but what that means is that we're so sort of like i'm almost kind of going to like boast just a bit we're so politically like involved and informed that it's it's hard to kind of informed question (laughs) (laughs) politically naive i don't know (laughs) but we are it's hard to know like what kind of your average person who maybe you know might have a lot of apathy towards politics or might you know it's Mm -hmm. not their kind of day-to-day function Uh, what do you think about uh, i'm I'm conscious that we need to move on yeah 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 of course of course what do you think about boris johnson piping up about this well, I think that it's it's the most Boris thing to happen. I think Alistair Campbell said it perfectly, is that he's probably the only person in the Tory party who can function without the Tory party. You know, people like him, people buy into him, and he's very populist in that manner. And, you know, I think although he left with the whole them's the break speech, let's, I think, let's be honest he was absolutely fuming that he left absolutely mm. fuming and so mm-hmm. he will want to try and impact and Liz, I mean, to be honest Liz Truss is doing the exact same thing as well you know just kind of sowing the seeds and there'll be some people who really agree with Liz Truss there'll be MPs Tory MPs who are just kind of quietly thinking to themselves I wonder if Liz Truss's policy would have worked yeah that would happen they, anyway, they, they believe in a thing but yeah let's, let's move on to the next uh yeah. let's move on to the next comment so our next story is basically about everything is going tits up in every single party by that i mean <laughs> not everything's going really really bad well for the conservative party from my perspective it is but there's been a conservative reshuffle uh nicholas Sturgeon has resigned uh there's a potential labor reshuffle coming up because naturally uh you know, the opposition is supposed to mirror the government. So there will be a, an eventual Labour reshuffle as well. So let's talk about the Conservative reshuffle. We've we've discussed this briefly on a previous episode. Mm. James, I talked a lot about that. What do you think about it? I It's one of these, to be honest, it's, and I think I, I feel like I'm, I'm going through deja vu now, so I feel like I might have already said this, but it kind of gives the same vibes as when Rishi Sunak did the whole, like, oh yeah, let's make it mandatory to do maths. Like, I I agree with, I agree with the premise of bringing in this whole like department for science and innovation. I think, you know, in principle, it's great. But with that comes a lot of civil service delay, comes a lot of reorganising. And I, so there's goods, there's goods and bads to it. Yes, it's great. And yes, you know, I think, a department for science and innovation is great but i i'm i'm not particularly sure I, i'm actually a bit confused as to why um and of why course right now and now yeah and and of course that's also meant that you're also getting uh grant shaps going on tiktok and you know oh, I, saw that. I know it's it's oh. it's his pr team is very very bizarre um yeah, I mean it's cool. I mean it's nice to see a politician engaging on TikTok a lot more. I know Steve Baker loves to engage on TikTok as well. Does he? I know Steve Baker's got a fucking be real. Has he? Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. I wonder how many friends he's got on that. Um, but yeah, I it's mostly it's... shadow cabinet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, or 
future shadow cabinet. Um, so it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, bizarre, bizarre policy. You've also got, um, what is it now that Bay's got split up, didn't it? It got split up into uh, business and trade and then also business uh, and international trade and business and energy and then energy, en- energy and energy and net zero i i really yes. like the idea of an energy department coming separately yeah energy it, energy and net zero is very good it's yeah. an admittance that seven years ago when the department was basically abolished mm. it was a bad policy and i'm glad it's been brought back again unsure of the timing but i'm glad it's been brought back and i think but, it's better in the long run but this has happened so much i mean like for instance um you know diffid kind of just like came and then disappeared and stuff and i Mm. it's it's very very odd how sort of how easily these departments can just appear and not appear and i you know i my wonder is was there a very large consultation process into Mm. uh my sort of inkling probably not but mm-hmm. i don't want to speculate what's not uh not fact in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, i think it was a closed discussion in my opinion but lee anderson has, yeah. was, was appointed deputy chair which was bizarre on the day um but he's already created so much havoc i think a day or two after he was advocating for the reintroduction of the death penalty <laughs> and rishi sunak had to come out very very quickly against that saying that's not the policy of the government and i don't think we've ever really had that in British political history where the Prime Minister has has come out against a policy that a front bencher has made or has introduced and the front bencher has not been sacked. Mm, yeah I in the history. No 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 there's something there was something else I, I I was just quickly uh reading up. But yeah it's it's very interesting with Lee Anderson. He was a former Labour councillor, wasn't he? He was, the, um... he was and he was suspended from the party just so you know. <laughs> you guys knew you guys um, <laughs> yeah it's it's an interesting one and uh with lee anderson yeah i'm i'm a little bit kind of i mean the question is is how how much do you how much influence does a deputy conservative uh party chairman have um which i suppose we'll find out <laughs> well, the whole point was to keep him in the cabinet so that he doesn't make all those ridiculous statements on Twitter. So the thing is, he's just revamped his Twitter to the point that it's almost constant. It's 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 on transmit. It's not stopping. Every single time I refresh Twitter, I see Lee Anderson. Yeah, and I'm not obsessed it's... with him. Maybe but... I am. You might be a bit obsessed with him, but I also want to bring up, because, I mean, we could talk about Lee Anderson. I think, you know, everybody's fairly consensus on, well, I say that, there probably probably isn't, but I think there's a, a fair amount of consensus on the whole death penalty policy and how absurd it is, and that's what differs us from uh, from other Western systems, uh, America. And uh, but, but I also want to kind of bring up Greg Hans as well, because he became the, the, the Tory party chairman. Um, I, mm. I think... I think they're Rishi kind of tapping into the safe politics kind of bet. Um, but he's been doing a lot of um, kind of, not, not obviously as kind of like <laughs> out there as Lee Anderson, but he's been doing a, a lot of um, responding on Twitter. He's been very active on Twitter, actually. And because uh, Damien Green, um, I think former former education secretary i almost want to say or he's he's definitely done something i think he's definitely had some previous in government someone's going to fact check me on that and tell me that i'm completely wrong um 
uh, came out and said that he was disappointed not to have been adopted as the Conservative candidate for the new Weld of Kent seat that's all happened with the kind of constituency boundaries and stuff. And Greg Hans has come out publicly to kind of say, we stand behind our MPs, new boundaries, complicated selections, etc. So yeah. it, it seems like, you know, he's having to make some difficult sort of decisions and is coming out very public with these uh decisions as well have you fact checked that because i think um he was he was a secretary of state uh, i'm not sure for the education department but the reason why the the name irked me is because he wasn't selected from his local Mm. local um i think the new boundaries the new boundaries that i think i was talking i thinking about damien hines actually who was an education secretary but anyway Uh, we're we're spending too long on the stories um they're not they're (laughs) going to be they're not even going to be the opposition at the next election don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the SNP. Right. So Nicholas Sturgeon has resigned. A leadership election has been triggered. Kate Forbes, Hamza Youssef, they've sort of come to the forefront. Mm. What do you think about the comments that Kate Forbes has made? Because I personally think they're completely backwards. Didn't she say that she's, anti, uh, she's anti-abortion? She's, I, I don't know if about anti-abortion, but I, I know that she came out against... Um, she wasn't completely clear on being anti-conversion therapy. She said she would have voted against uh, the Equal Marriages Act. So what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I'm just literally looking in... Uh, take, take, take a moment to look through. Yeah, so she's against she's against abortion due to personal uh, religious mm-hmm. beliefs, but, uh, beliefs, but she'll defend the abortion rights despite... And I think she... She had a, a interview with uh, with ITV News on that. Um, I don't know actually if we really covered the whole Ian Blackford uh, leaving and um, oh, what's his name? Is it Stephen Flynn um, mm-hmm. coming in as the Westminster? He's come out very well in my leader. opinion. But let's talk about let's talk about yeah. Kate Forbes's comments. Very dis- very bad. I disagree on on the follow-up. but yes yes no but I I, I do agree. It is it is quite it, it is quite backwards and actually I think it almost represents the SMP and its kind of true colours. I think Nicola Sturgeon, I think we can agree, is a good communicator. I think she was, uh, mm. whilst I think probably, for in her op- own opinion, it was probably the right time for her to leave, only because I think there's an absolute shitstorm coming for the SMP. Mm-hmm. Um, I think actually she was kind of almost pulling the wall, on the, uh, wall over the eyes of the public on what the SMP have formerly looked like, you know. Mm. They have typically been a fairly sort of right of, at least right of centre party. See, I disagree. I, I I disagree. Really? I was when I, when it when Nicholas Sturgeon first resigned, and I think, oh well, this is the this is the end of the SNP as we know it, or it's the end of the SNP completely. I was sceptical to call that out, and I was sceptical mm. even as a Labour member to go, oh, this is going to be brilliant for Labour. To we're going to win so easily in Scotland now. I was I was sceptical, right. And I, I have always believed that the SNP has been fundamentally a centre-left party. And I could argue that Kate Forbes is one bad apple in the party, but I think all of it is just is just hypothetical. I don't I don't know what the SNP is actually going to look like post Scottish independence, and I, I think that's the only way we'll know. Um, do you think post-Scottish independence will happen? Because you just said that there. And I'm, I'm going to push you on it just because I think... It's I don't know. I, the thing is, I don't know. Um, 
I think the likelihood of it happening has certainly come down after after Nicola Sturgeon has resigned. Um, but I think the sentiment still remains. I, I don't think Nicola Sturgeon resigning takes away from any of the sentiment. I think Hamza Youssef could be a very, very effective leader for... I don't, I don't know enough about Hamza Youssef in order to... Well, I think he's honest, come across yeah. really, really well. And I've been following the leadership election and I think he's come across really, really well. And I think he could be a really, really good candidate for the when, When's their deadline? Isn't it like something of March? Um, March 27th. March 27th, so... March 27th, we'll know. And we'll, we, we will cover it then. Um, but potential Labour cabinet reshuffle as well. Because obviously, the... Um, uh, the the gonna opposition is going to have to mirror yeah. it. I, I think there are some people who are inevitably going to be in. I think Darren Jones has done a fantastic job on the select committee. I think he will come in to any department that is formed or any of the new departments mm. that have been formed. Who do you think is out? Oh, I don't know. And you're going to you're going to kick me on this, but I, I, to be honest, I don't even think I I know the the shadow cabinet well enough in order to kind of mm. make that comment. Um, yeah, I, don't, I honestly, I hold my hands up. I do not. Fair know. enough. Fair um, enough. Well, I will, happened- can, I, can I come back to you on on your Stephen Flynn comment? Because actually, I've I. Okay. I actually, I totally disagree with you on that. I think he's been holding well. I think he's been very good at scrutinising. But actually, even today, mm. I thought he because he's been very, very quick to address the issues between the or, or address the issues with the Tory Party and the Labour Party. You know, he's been very like saying the Labour Party aren't doing this, the Labour Party aren't doing that. And there's an argument to say that actually Ian Blackford didn't do this enough and that, you know, he should have been looking at both sides of the dispatch box and kind of scrutinising all areas. But for me, I think there's a fundamental issue with some areas of government that need to be addressed. And I don't think bashing the Labour Party when I think a good few amount of people in Scotland are probably thinking of the Labour Party as a credible vote mm. is necessarily going to Well he needs to do you. that. The thing is he needs to do that for for, for the for the Westminster elections in Scotland. He needs to do that and that's fine. I think the criticisms of the government were easier when Ian Blackford was leader of the SNP. I think it was much easier mm. to bash Boris Johnson on party gate than it is to criticise um, Rishi Sunak on the Northern Ireland Protocol. Potentially, but then, but then equally, I think that actually, this is just sort of personal, poli- like not personal politics, but personality politics. I think uh, Ian Blackford had a much more kind of he had a lot more gravitas to him. Like I don't think any prime minister can can say that they were looking forward to a session with with Ian Blackford. Because mm. he was pretty formidable in that regard. Yes, but 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 for the S from the SNP's perspective, the threat has shifted. Previously, when you are calling for a independence referendum, mm. your enemy is the party of government, which was the Conservative, which is the Conservative Party, right? But now, you're you've got a party that is sort of show, starting to show its cracks, right? We people do not have faith that post Scottish independence the SNP is going to have any sort of binding force for it anymore. The SNP's central tenet is independence. And there are so many more fundamental issues within Scotland. Education, 
healthcare, for example. Crime is a big issue. Debt, right? National security, foreign Mm -hmm. policy for a Scotland that is outside of the United Kingdom. Those are some big issues that the SNP haven't addressed. We'll have, to so, end up, we'll have to end up drafting a Scotland protocol as well, which would, uh, <laughs> would take seven years to do as well, probably. But the, um, my point is that the threat has shifted. The threat has shifted from mm. the Conservative Party being, the, being their biggest threat, calling for a referendum, targeting Westminster, and to Labour, because Labour is going to be the next government. I really hope I'm not jinxing that. Touch wood, they're the next government. Yeah. But... Recorded. You're on camera. You're on camera now. Let's. I think we should move on to the very last point because we've not got much time, and we're probably going to go a little bit over than we hope to. But today, Shamima Begum got mm-hmm. her appeal for um, the appeal that she made uh, to regain UK citizenship. She's had that appeal rejected on national security grounds. Uh, Kartik, do you want to catch us up a little bit on it? Yeah, so the Special Immigration Appeals Commission, um, which was basically checking whether the Home Secretary acted lawfully, um, has ruled that Shamim Begum this will was, be... This was Sajid Javid, for reference. Yes, this was Sajid Javid. He's been uh, everywhere. Will be de- yeah. yeah, he has been everywhere. Will be deprived of her British citizenship, despite a credible case that she was trafficked. She was 15 years old when she travelled to join the self-styled Islamic State group in 2015. She went on to have three children, all of whom have died, um, after marrying a fighter with the group. In 2019, as James said, the then Home Secretary, Sajid Javid, stripped her of her British citizenship, preventing her coming home and leaving her detained as an IS supporter in a camp. James, what do you think about this? Ooh, well, it's bringing up a lot of... Uh, because this happened all in 2019. And so, in a way, I'd almost forgotten about it totally. Um, mm. I have my... My personal opinion. Go for your personal opinions. On it. And that my personal opinion is simply I don't think that she should be, uh, she should regain citizenship. Mm-hmm. And that is my, that's my view on it. And you can debate. And, and that's more of a matter to do with the process of radicalization that is affected mm-hmm. for all manner of different sort of like extremisms from all different kind of factions that sort of mm. cross cuts the idea of ethnicity and race and everything um but in terms of in terms of it's the debate the debate is if she was trafficked or if she was or if she willingly went there in sound knowledge and uh, maturity and that's the debate that really took place, at least in 2019. This appeal was specifically to do with whether or not um, Sajid Javid uh, acted on the deportation or the sort of revoking of citizenship mm-hmm. um, with a pre... Because the, the way that the... Um, I think it's a sort of... It's a, a legal right that, you know, you're... You should, effectively, it's the fair trial right you know you should any trial any investigation any whatever should be made from a kind of at least from the start from a neutral standpoint and then you kind of go into a a viewpoint and she argued that uh Sajid Javid basically had his mindset before even starting the process um Mm -hmm. that's a whole other debate but Mm -hmm. I've made my opinion pretty clear on in terms of okay See, in, in, in 2019, when the debate sort of started, I was 
saying absolutely no way should she be allowed back in. Right? That was my perspective. Now, I think, coming from a neutral standpoint, I think the framework has shifted. I think if she does come back to the UK, she is going to be under so much scrutiny, A, in her local community, B, in the national press, and C, from the national security services, that there is no way that she would be an overall a credible national security threat. It's almost like the Islamic State would think, if if the Islamic State as an organisation still holds any sort of influence over her, would think that this is a credible person to use as a vessel for terrorism in the UK. Because that is a valid concern. Mm. If someone has previously joined the Islamic State should they and they have now left, should they be allowed back in? But now I think it's shifted because of the fact that... Um, because of the fact that the, uh, A, she has expressed her regret, and I've noticed that she's given herself a massive remodeling to sort of accept herself into Western political society, um, which I find intriguing at, at best. Um, but I think the, I think the calculus has shifted, and I think the arguments for a free and fair trial were there in the past, and I think the national security concerns outweighed them. Now, I think she's arguably not that much of a national security concern because people are aware of who she is. And mm. that's why I think the free and fair trial argument now holds precedent over... Well, I think it's literally been said that even if she was to come back to this country, that she would be um, she would be in some form of incarceration. Um mm-hmm. So I, I don't think the national security threat would be... I agree with you, the national security threat wouldn't be there. But I think there's two things here. There's the precedent it sets, mm-hmm. if one can. But also I think the 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 civil unrest that could potentially occur that as a result of this, that we're effectively allowing people that have completely stood against everything that our country supposedly is whatever that necessarily is. But we, we personally don't have any idea of everything that our country completely is. And this is possibly a much bigger point. But what is the United Kingdom right now? We don't know ourselves. Yes, we don't but even I'm know if, if a major part of... We were just talking about it. We don't even know if a major part of the United Kingdom is even going to be a part yes, of the United Kingdom. Yes, but I think anymore. there's a very big difference. We can debate about what the United Kingdom is, but I think there's a big difference between, you know what is and what isn't the United Kingdom and an organisation that went and captured reporters and did completely unspeakable things to them. And I think that's the difference Mm -hmm. in that regard. And I think people wouldn't necessarily forgive the government for allowing someone that, you know, was part of that organisation to come back. But then it Mm -hmm. then circles back to the debate of, well, did did she willingly join? Was she trafficked? But mm-hmm. then I don't think we should spin in circles and circles. Otherwise, we would be here for ages. We've already. Got I agree over. because because I, I was gonna I was I was gonna come to you with uh, with uh, you know topical. Well, how impressionable were you when you were fifteen years old? Yeah, Jamie? yeah. Well, I when I was sixteen, I went on a on Question Time and made a complete mug out of myself in front of the country. So there we go. We all uh, no, I'm not. I'm not defaling that. At no, that's all. not the same. No, I know it's, it's not, not the same. I acknowledge it's not the same, and I acknowledge that there are some. National national security concerns that come along with it but i think that concerns of our justice system 
outweigh the national security concerns. And I think she should have a trial here in the UK now. What do you think? Leave a comment in our, our inevitable TikTok that we're going to do about this or uh, Instagram. You can tweet us on at peace underscore on underscore draft. And uh, yeah, I think all that is left to say on this episode is uh, my name is James. And my name is Kartik. If you didn't know, be a bit weird if you didn't know our name already. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, thank Maybe you very yeah, maybe first time listener. Maybe you listen to us halfway in. I don't know. I'm trailing off here. Um, and we will see you next week on Politics on Draft, where we will have a guest, Kartik. Will we have one this week? I, I think we will. Next week? We're going to have one next week. See you next week. See you, see you later. Bye-bye.